Well, let me say again to all of you what an absolute joy and a delight it is to be with you this morning. Um, I, I don't think I've been with you and yet not with you uh, as often in all of the years that I've worked with the church, apart from the very beginning when I was with you once a month doing some training uh, on how to share the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning, um, we're going back into the book of James uh, to carry on with the series that we've been in there uh, for some wee while now. And I want to read just a few verses. If you've got your Bibles handy, uh, it'll help you to follow along with these. And we're looking at uh, James chapter four. And we'll start reading from verse 13 through to verse 17. And the topic that I've been given uh, is recognizing God's sovereignty, uh, which is an interesting concept, given that the word doesn't appear uh, in the reading that we're about to make. So let's read those verses. And then I want to share just a few thoughts with you as to how those verses then apply to us now. So from verse 13 of of James uh, chapter 4. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. So interesting, interesting words that we'll spend just a few minutes uh, unpicking and unpacking together. I don't know who first said it. It's a truism, but my goodness, it is true. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And I don't think that's ever been more true, perhaps, than it is right now. If ever there was a time when individually as families, as streets and neighbourhoods, as communities, as churches, gatherings of faith. If ever there was a time when we have been acutely conscious that we are not in control, if ever there's been a time for us to recognise the littleness of our own size and our significance, if ever there's been a time (laughs) when we've just not been able to plan and to control, (laughs) this is that time. Uh, We've never, none of us have ever, we've read, we've read about stuff like this in the past, post-World War I, with the Spanish flu that, that, that ravaged the globe at a time when there was much malnutrition and poverty anyway. But none of us have ever lived through a time like this before. A time which uh, is indeed unprecedented. I've not used that word for quite a few months now. This passage helps us to address some of those things. But it is important to say, to do the passage justice, to look at it exegetically, what was being said there and then to those people, as well as looking at it in terms of what is being said to us here and now, which is more about hermeneutics. This passage is not actually about sovereignty it's not about the sovereignty of God 
the main thrust of this little passage is found in the summary. The, the, the writer is driving to a point that his readers or his listeners uh, would kind of catch their breath with. The main point of this little passage you find in verse 16 uh, and verse 17, this is a passage which is anti-boasting. It's against presumption and assumption, and it's pro submission verse 17 it's all about us accruing a proper sense of perspective and of humility about our lives and about our choices our directions our plans and our purpose much has been said and much has been written by theologians over the years about sovereignty and actually a lot of our notions about the sovereignty of god have been formulated Perhaps, dare I suggest, not so much from a careful examination of Scripture, which clearly does teach the sovereignty of God, but many of our understandings and interpretations and definitions of sovereignty have come to us through the filters of the theologians, particularly of the 18th and the 19th century. According to Scripture, where the word sovereignty is used, sovereign, the sovereign Lord is used quite a lot, it does seem... I would suggest fairly clear that sovereignty in the Bible is predominantly about three main things. Uh, we could illustrate this in many ways, but I'll just refer to one or two Bible verses for each of the three points. So if we were to look, for example, at the description of God in Psalm 24 and verse one, sovereignty there is a, all about ownership. That the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So sovereignty is to do with ownership, the one who is involved with everything, but who is somehow still separate from the creation that he has made and who is above his creation, involved in it, but yet still above his creation. Sovereignty is about ownership. The second thing which comes across, I think, again and again, and again, I'll, I'll just give you one verse as an example, but these are not proof texts. There are many such verses. Sovereignty is about ownership, but it's also about authority. So uh, the concluding words of Jesus to his disciples, uh, who is gathered together on top of a mountain uh, near Jerusalem, uh, and there were 11 of them now, of course, because Judas has gone out and hanged himself. And the replacement, Matthias, uh, not Matthias Levi, the tax collector, but the second Matthias has not yet been selected by the drawing of lots. So there are 11 disciples who gather where Jesus has told them to go on the mountain top near Jerusalem. And Jesus is really clear in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me and then of course he extends that by saying therefore you go we get drawn in under the authority of Jesus Christ ours is not the authority his is the authority so sovereignty is about ownership being a part of and yet above owning everything but it's also about authority over everything Matthew 28 and verse 18, the word that's used there, that Jesus uses for authority is the word exousias in the original language. And that's a, a word which is taken from the courts of law. It means one who has the right and the power and can exercise that right and that power, real life changing authority. 
The third thing that sovereignty seems to be about as we search the scriptures, Old and New Testament, and this is the one which I think can cause us problems as we grapple with its outworking, is that if sovereignty is about authority and ownership, sovereignty is also about control. And we do see that evidenced in scripture in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. But we must be very careful with what we mean and what we understand by the word control. If, for example, we thought that the word control was about causation, in other words, God is the supreme controller and therefore he is the supreme cause of all things, then I think we've strayed outside the remit of what Scripture, Old and New Testament teaches us. Is God in control? Ultimately, yes, of course, God is in control. Nothing happens out with the ultimate control of God. He allows things to happen. But is God in control in the immediate of everything that happens is a very big and I would suggest to you a very different question. We have to ask ourselves with a, 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 a rigorous theology that makes sense not only from scripture, but from our experience. We have to ask ourselves the question, does everything happen in this world the way God wants it to happen and because God wants it to happen? That's a hard supposition. It will be very, very, very hard to say that to the nearly 350,000 people now who have lost their lives to this dreadful COVID-19 virus, the pandemic that we're all facing. It would be perhaps even harder to say that to their family and to their friends who are left behind and who are grieving that this has all happened because God wanted it to happen and he planned for it to happen as opposed to he allowed it to happen. He is in control in the ultimate. Is he always in control in the immediate? Does everything happen the way he wants it to happen? And because he wants it to happen, I would suggest no. I would suggest to you that wars do not happen because God wants them to happen, because God is quite clearly the God of peace. I would suggest to you that murder, that abortion, that COVID-19, those things don't happen because God wants them to happen. I would suggest to you that rape and domestic violence and racism, that the death of a black man in America don't happen because God wants someone to kneel on a person's neck until they die. They happen for other reasons. They happen, I would suggest to you, because whilst God is sovereign, the reality is that this wonderful, wonderful world which he has made, I, I, as I speak to you, I'm, I'm looking out of my window at one of the beautiful Highland Straths, and it, it's fantastic. And we can see God revealed through his creation. And scripture teaches that. But it's broken. It's fallen. It's not as it should be. 
And therefore there are wars and rumours of wars and there are earthquakes and famines, even though the seasons will continue and there is enough food in the world to feed everybody because the world, the creation itself is fallen and broken and groans and cries out to God for its redemption. And not only is creation fallen, but as part of creation, its pinnacle made uniquely in the image of God. I am broken and fallen and you are broken and fallen. And so we say and we think and we do things which are selfish and self-centered and which hurt ourselves and hurt other people and hurt God. And we can all relate to that in our soberest and most real moments. So things happen in this world which are allowed, given that God is a God of love who will not force. He is a lover and not a rapist. Things happen which are allowed because God is a God of love and love demands choice. And love demands consequence. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5 to pray, your kingdom come, God. Father, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we are taught really clearly that in the kingdom of God, in its fullness, there is no sin, no suffering, no Satan, no sickness. But all of those things are present now. We are told to pray for the sick that they may be healed. I pray for loads of people to be healed. And many have been healed, but not all have been healed including myself on occasions. Why is that? Because God didn't want us healed? Or are we to pray that we will be healed and recognize that we live in a broken, fallen world and we are broken, fallen people? And that God allows things because he is a God of love and love demands choice and love demands consequence, which includes good, but also bad. My Bible, like your Bible, also says, and you can read it for yourselves in the second book of Peter, chapter three and verse nine, that God is unwilling for any to perish. The context there is talking about an eternal separation from God, never knowing who you are and how you are and why you are. And God is unwilling for anybody to live not knowing him. And yet people live not knowing him and people die not knowing him. Not everything that happens in this world happens the God way, because it's broken, we're broken, and there is an enemy who is out in any way that he can to thwart the plans of God and to hurt God through God's people, those he made in his image. So we must be careful whilst acknowledging that God is sovereign, that he owns all things, that he has authority over all things, that he is in control of all things in the ultimate. But in the immediate, stuff happens. Stuff happens. I want to suggest to you that God, therefore, is not the all cause, but he is the all redeemer. He is the one who takes things that go bad and adrift that are not according to his desire, his hope, his plan, his purpose. And he redeems them literally like redeeming a mortgage. He buys them back. He brings good out of bad. It is his very nature. We've only got to read in Romans chapter eight in verse 28. We know that in all things, in all things, 
God works for the good of those who love him. God knows all things and in the all things that God knows, he is committed to work them together for good, even the bad stuff like COVID-19, for those who will love him and let him and let him love them. And I wonder if I'm describing you this morning, particularly if perhaps you're a guest or a visitor uh, and you're listening to this and wouldn't normally be doing so, perhaps a friend or a neighbour of someone here in Three Counties Church. Am I describing you? God wants to buy back the difficult circumstances of your life that you find yourself in if you will let him love you and love him back. He is committed to be the all redeemer, not the all cause therefore to bring things into his great redemptive plan. Let me finish by very quickly looking at those verses then. Verse 14 is great. Having having set the scene up, oh yeah, today let's go here and live there for a year. Let's make some money. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do t'other. That's, that's verse 13. In verse 14, we're brought up sharp, aren't we, with a real sense of perspective. As James, the writer, says, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. It's a reality check. Man, that is true, isn't it, in the times that we live in. Never before have we realised, perhaps, how small and potentially insignificant we are and how our plans can mean absolutely nothing. What is your life, James goes on to say? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. This is not nihilism this is not despair this is this is a perspective this is putting our lives in the here and now in the perspective of the that which is to come as c.s lewis puts it in the last battle in the chronicles of narnia onwards and upwards keep a sense of perspective yes the here and now but what about the then and there Onwards and upwards. We were hearing earlier from Tara, weren't we, about the picture of Aslan, the lion of Narnia, the, the Jesus figure walking with the children as he walks with us. He walks with us now in all that we face, but he will always walk with us then as well. Onwards and upwards. We must have a sense of perspective in everything that we face that this is not it. <laughs> this is it's not a rehearsal eternal life has started here and now but this is not what it will be the kingdom of god has come through his dear son jesus but it is not yet here in its fullness but one day it will be verse 15 instead here's a different way to live then says james instead you ought to say if it is the lord's will we will live and do this or do that if it's what god wants this verse verse 15 is basically an invitation for God's intervention. Let me say that again. Verse 15 is an invitation which James is suggesting we should make an invitation for God's intervention. So we're not going to just forge ahead with our plans. We're going to invite God in on it, not afterwards for him to bless it, but beforehand for His to sh- for him to shape it a bit like the potter again, shaping the clay. An invitation for intervention. Why is that then? Because ultimately God, ultimately God, who is sovereign, knows what's best. He does have good 
days mapped out for us to inherit. He does have good deeds for us to do that other people might look at our deeds and give glory to God the Father. He does have good plans for us. He does have good gifts for us. So we need to invite him in on every element of our lives on on Romans 12 basis that we daily submit our lives as living sacrifices. We surrender, we yield to him because God knows what's best. A friend of mine once said this, God's will for your life is exactly what you would have chosen for yourself if you had only understood all the circumstances. And God knows the all things of all things. He knows every possible outcome of every possible decision that we might make. It's still a dynamic decision, but he knows every possible outcome. Therefore, invite him in to intervene in the decisions and the directions of your life and of my life. Verse 16, James says, don't, don't boast. Don't brag because that's false. It's silly. It's sin. Instead, embrace humility as it is. You boast and you brag. That's what these verses are warning against. All such boasting is evil. The writer James is urging a humble, teachable approach to life so that sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof as Jesus teaches in Matthew 5 and we live a day at a time with faith sufficient for the day you can't faith is like manna out of heaven it's there for a day you can't store it up so live with faith for today don't brag don't boast but in humility and then in verse 17 anyone then who knows the good he might he ought to do and doesn't do it sins do the good thing do the god thing do the right thing don't sin yield to the sovereignty of god who owns all things who has authority over all things and who ultimately is in control of all things for now in the immediate allows the crap and the chaos <laughs> but will redeem all things if we will let him let me finish by posing two questions first of all of myself uh, as i've prepared for this i've searched myself uh, it, it, with these two questions and i urge you to do likewise that the that the finger of God from the word of God by the spirit of God might prod and poke us. What plans do you feel disappointed that they didn't happen? They may be long-term plans going way back. They may be to do with your career or your income or your life partnerships or friendships, relationships, or they might be specific to lockdown and the pandemic COVID-19 not being able to see the people that you plan to see have the social events that you wanted to have go to the pub or the theatre that you wanted to go to or the cinema or the ice cream parlour or maybe that you couldn't attend the weddings or even have the wedding that you wanted to have or go to the funeral to say goodbye in the way that you wanted to maybe it's holidays that you've lost or work that you've lost what plans do you still feel disappointed about that didn't happen that haven't happened my suggestion to you would be simply this yield 
yield them to the God who is sovereign. And my second question, what plans at the moment in your life, if any, remain unsubmitted to the sovereignty of God, who is good, who has good plans and good days and good deeds and good gifts for you? What plans remain unsubmitted? My suggestion to you is if you find any such plans in your head or your heart, yield, submit to God who is good and who is sovereign. In the words of the song from Frozen, let it go. Let it go. I'm going to pray and then hand back to John. Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the 40 or so families and individuals and friends and neighbours who are listening and watching into this right now. And I pray that in a very real sense, we will come before you, the good God who is above all things, owns all things and yet connected to all things. The God who has authority over all things, the God who ultimately is in control of all things and yet does not cause the chaos and the crap because we live in a fallen, broken world as fallen, broken people with an enemy of our souls we come to you O god and we yield to you our hopes and our dreams our plans and our aspirations as well as our fears and our disappointments we yield to your goodness and to your sovereignty as the writer of old encouraged us to do to do that which we know is good under the hand of of God. And we ask that this will be fruitful for the glory of Jesus. And we ask it together in his name. Amen. Wonderful. Wonderful to be with you all. God bless you.